Brother Mike, I appreciate that. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of John, John chapter 6. The book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 6. Again, I commend you for being faithful to church on the Lord's Day. And I trust that the message this morning will be a blessing and a help and a challenge to all of us. Stand with me, please, once you've found John chapter 6. John chapter number 6. And we'll begin reading in verse number 5. John chapter 6. And we'll begin reading in verse 5 down through verse number 13. The Bible says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And then he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. <clears throat> Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Verse 13, Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the, barley, of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Of course, this is one of the most familiar stories in all the Gospels, yea, all of the Bible as, as a whole. <clears throat> and it's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 men, mind you, not including women and children. Conservatively speaking, there's probably more than 15,000 to 20,000 people that day that Jesus fed. And he did it with the lunch of one little boy. The title of the message is a little bit unusual this morning. Uh, the title is simply this, A Little Boy's Sermon. A Little Boy's Sermon. And let's pray together. Our Father, I ask you to help me now in these next few moments that we'll spend in your house this morning. Father, there's, uh, there's some truths here that we need to glean from this unsuspecting little boy. This may not have even been a teenager. Uh, he may have been in his uh, maybe 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. We don't know. The Bible doesn't specifically tell us. But we do know that through his life, he preached an, an incredibly powerful sermon that we need to, to hear this morning. And I pray that you'd help me as I try to deliver it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. The greatest sermons are many times not the ones you hear. By the way, I've heard many great sermons. Don't know that I've ever preached any, but I've heard a lot of them. There's uh, <clears throat> hurts me when you laugh that way. But anyway, I uh, I think about when you think about great sermons of the past. I think about uh, Payday Someday, R.G. Lee, the great R.G. Lee who preached Payday Someday. I think about God's Three Deadlines. I think about. Uh, sermons that were preached by Dr. Malone that everybody would say, man, that was an incredibly, that was an awesome sermon. I think about fresh oil from Brother Howes and duty and, and uh, just, just sermon after sermon. Uh, I was uh, driving to Illinois on Friday and, and uh, I was uh, by myself and so I've got uh, 
uh, I had one of those Bluetooth speakers in the van, and I, I uh, hooked that up, and, and I, I listened to about four sermons between here and Chicago, and, and uh, uh, I don't know how much good they did, but I heard a lot of preaching on the way over there. <clears throat> but uh, we've heard all kinds of great sermons, but you know, sometimes the greatest sermons are not the ones that you hear, but the ones that you see. The ones that you see. One of the most famous of Jesus' miracles is one that is rehearsed in all four Gospels. And by the way, if God says something one time, it's important. God doesn't have to say it over and over and over and over again for it to be important. <clears throat> if God says it one time, it's important. And uh, if, if thus saith the Lord appears in your Bible, then God wants you to sit up and take note about it, whether he says it once or a dozen times. But when God repeats himself, he's not just doing that to fill time. And here we see this miracle of the feeding of the multitudes is not just given in John's Gospel, chapter 6. It's given in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One of the very few miracles in the Gospels that are recorded in all four Gospels. I wonder if God's trying to tell us something. I wonder if there's some things in here that, uh, that God wants us to especially sit up and take notice of. Now... All the glory and honor of what happened on that day belongs to Jesus. We understand that. You understand, Jesus took... Now, now, sometimes we read through stories like the one we just read, and we just we read over it so quickly that we miss the awe of it. We miss the wonder of it. Jesus took a little boy's lunch that consisted of, the Bible says, five barley loaves. Now... It doesn't matter how big or how small those barley loaves are because the Bible says that thousands upon thousands of people benefited from it. So whether that barley loaf was this big or this big, it doesn't matter, okay? And the Bible says not only did he have five barley loaves, but he's, the Bible says he had uh, two small fishes. Now, for some of you fishermen in here, where's Brother Jody? Brother Jody's in here. He's, a, he's our resident fisherman in here. And uh, now, if you want to describe a big fish, you just talk to Brother Jody because he's called some, amen? And uh, he's, he, he is the fisherman in the room, okay? And uh, any of you fellows want to challenge him, you take that up with him after the service. That's fine. <laughs> but uh, the, Bible doesn't, the Bible specifically says two small fishes. Nothing big about them. We're not talking about uh, uh, Shamu here, okay? Uh, <laughs> we're, we're talking two small fishes, five barley loaves, and Jesus took that little boy's lunch and he fed thousands of people with it. You say, preacher, you really believe, believe that? Yes, I do. You say, that doesn't make sense. There's a lot of things that God does that doesn't make sense to us. You say, that's, that's out of the norm. That's why it's called a miracle. <laughs> that's why it's called a miracle. God's not just interested in doing the norm. We serve a big God. We serve a huge God. And God made everything. And, and I was reminded of this. I can't get away from the message that I heard on Tuesday morning last week when Brother Jenkins preached in chapel talking about how big is your God and talked about the vastness of our, uh, of our solar system. And yet in the grand scheme of, of all of the universe, our solar system is just a, it's, it's nothing more than a speck. And how God made all of the galaxies and all of the, 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 the different constellations. Everything that you see and everything that you can't see out there, God made it. God made it. There's nothing too hard for our God. And so we understand that Jesus gets all of the glory and all the honor uh, for what happened on that day. 
feeding of, of 20,000 people with one lunch that, can, that consisted of five loaves and two fishes, that's all about Jesus. That's all about Jesus. That's all about His power. That's all about His omnipotence. It's all about His <coughs> uh, ability to do uh, far beyond what we can ever even conceive. And by the way, Jesus deserves all the glory from our lives. The Bible says that none of us have a right to boast. Not a one of us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God doesn't want to hear boasting from any of us. Because none of us are worthy of boasting, except Paul said, if I'm going to glory, I'm going to glory in the cross of Christ. He said, I'm not going to glory in Paul. I'm not going to glory in what I've done. I'm not going to glory in my accomplishments. I'm not going to glory in souls I've seen saved. I'm not, I'm not going to glory in, in uh, churches that God has allowed me to start. And he said, no, if there's, any, if there's any boasting, if there's any glory, if there's any honor to be given, he said, it's to be given to Jesus. And Jesus deserves all the glory in my life and he deserves all the glory in your life jesus is everything and i'm nothing and whatever good that comes from my life is due to him well we need to understand that whatever good <clears throat> comes from your life whatever god can do through me or through you it's not because of who we are it's in spite of who we are we're sinners sinners saved by the good grace of god if you put me this morning where I deserve to be, I'd be in a lake of fire. If you put me this morning where I deserve to be, I'd be in eternal punishment, damnation, where the worm dieth not, the Bible says, and the fire is not quenched. That's what I deserve. That's what I deserve. That's what all of us deserve. All the glory belongs to him. But there is in this story a sermon from the life of this little boy. Yes, all the glory and all the honor and all the praise belongs to Jesus. But let me say this. Had this little boy not given his lunch, I don't think those 20,000 people would have walked away hungry that day, Brother Dave. I don't believe that. Had this little boy said, you know what? This is my lunch. And by the way, the greatest miracle of that day may not have been the feeding of the 5,000. It may have been the fact that a, a little kid gave up his lunch. <laughs> <clears throat> But I believe with all my heart, had that little boy decided that he was going to be selfish with his five loaves and two fishes, I believe Jesus still would have fed those people. Now, that's hypothetical, and that's not the way it happened, so that's neither here nor there. <clears throat> but I, I believe there's, there was going to be a miracle that day, with or without the little boy. But the, what I want you to see this morning is he got the benefit by being used. He was the one who was the beneficiary. I'm, I'm here to discuss the, the great beneficiary of Jesus' miracle because he's the one who said, Jesus can have what I have. Whatever I brought, Jesus can have it. I know it's not much, but Jesus can have it. I know it's not, uh, it, it's not filet mignon, but Jesus can have it. I know there's, there's not grocery bags full of it, but Jesus can have it. And I see... A sermon from the life of this little boy the reality is Jesus did use this little boy and throughout time and eternity we have recorded a wonderful sermon that instructs all of us not by what this boy said by what he did you see not one line not one word is recorded uttered from the mouth of this little boy we don't know what the conversation was between andrew and the little boy we have no idea we don't know uh 
you know, if he, if he gave it willingly, if he gave it grudgingly, if he gave it with a smile on his face, if, we, if, he, if he gave it with crying, I don't know. I like what one preacher says, the Lord loveth a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from any old grouch. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure what this boy said, but what he did speaks volumes. And that's the premise of the message this morning. I want you to see several things as time allows. First of all, I want you to see this. This little boy was in the right place. He was in the right place. He could have been anywhere that day. Little boy his age, uh, you know, he could have been out playing ball in the yard. He could have been out uh, uh, fishing himself. He could have been uh, doing any number of things that day. But that little boy was in the right place on that day when Jesus fed thousands of people. You say, preacher, what constitutes the right place? The right place was near Jesus. That's the right place. Hey, this little boy found out that Jesus, <coughs> the Son of God, Jesus, the, uh, the, the Messiah, Jesus, the one who was born in Bethlehem's manger, Jesus, the one who just a, a, a few weeks before had started his earthly ministry and, uh, and was baptized of John in Jordan and then filled with the Holy Spirit and then going about uh, uh, doing good to people by touching blind eyes to make them see and touching deaf ears to make them hear and making the lame to walk again and the dumb to speak. Uh, this same Jesus. Jesus was, he was going to be talking to people. And that little boy, and by the way, we don't know that he was with anybody. I don't know that he was with family or friends. We don't know that he was by himself or that he wasn't by himself. We just know that he was there. He was in the right place, and the right place was near Jesus. May I encourage you this morning that the right place for you to be is as close to the Son of God as you can get Boy, you ought to stay as close to Jesus as you can get. <clears throat> hey, let me tell you something. The Bible uh, talks about the pathway to sin over in the book of James. And it, and it says that sin, uh, it, it talks about being drawn away. And it talks about being tempted. And it talks about being enticed. But it says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away. For many years, I used to think, drawn away from what? And then one day it dawned on me. It's not a what. I'm not drawn away from a what, I'm drawn away from a who, and that's when I get into trouble. I need to stay near Jesus. I need to stay as close to the Son of God as I can possibly get. Now, being close to Jesus doesn't mean you're going to live a trouble-free life. Just ask the disciples. Hey, they were close to Jesus. They were in the same ship with Jesus one time, probably more than one time. But we know at least one time they were in the same vessel with Jesus and they're in the middle of a storm, a bad storm. Hey, being with Jesus doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a trouble-free life, but it's a better life when he's in the, in, the, in the boat with you. Stay near Jesus. This little boy found out that the right place was to be near Jesus in the next uh, 11 and a half months as we go through 2019. You, you may face trials and heartaches and troubles, but hey, don't ever, don't ever let those circumstances chase you away from Jesus. By the way, what they ought to do is chase you closer to Jesus. You see, we mess up sometimes because when the circumstances of life come to us, instead of running to Jesus... We distance ourselves. Instead of becoming more faithful to his house, we distance ourselves. I was talking to someone <clears throat> several months ago, and they said to me, Preacher, I'm coming back to church. I'm coming back to church. As soon as things settle down in my life, I'm getting back in church. I thought, 
Dum 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 dum. You know who you know who else heard that besides me? Yeah. Old smutty face himself said, hmm. All I got to do is give him some problems and make sure that <clears throat> there's uh, circumstances aren't just right for him to get back in church and he'll stay away. <laughs> no, no. Hey, when, when, when you ought to stay close to Jesus regardless of what the circumstances are. Stay, stay near Jesus. This little boy, the sermon that he preached, first of all, tells us he was in the right place because he was near Jesus. And I want you to see this. Not only was he in the right place, but he was doing the right thing. He was doing the right thing. You see, he didn't go that day looking to be the focal point of a, a miracle. He didn't go that day with the intent of giving up his lunch. No, he went that day to simply sit and listen to the Son of God. He was listening. Not only was he in the right place, which was near Jesus, but he was doing the right thing, and the right thing was to listen to what Jesus had to say to him. May I say to all of us, God will speak to you if you're listening. You know, in the Bible, several times it refers to a still, small voice. A still, small voice. The prophet said, <clears throat> you know, there was a storm there, but God wasn't in the storm. There's a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. There's a wind, but not the wind. It was the still, small voice you know we think god's somehow going to speak to us through this loud voice from heaven he doesn't speak that way he doesn't speak that way you hold in your lap the never-changing word of god that book right there god wants to speak to you I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how sick you are, how healthy you are. I don't care how long you've been saved. If you're not saved at all, hey, <clears throat> you're one of God's creation. Hey, you're, the Bible says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? God wants to speak to you. God wants to communicate with you. God, <clears throat> by the way, to demonstrate how, how interested God is to communicate with man... God went to great lengths. God gave us his word, but also God gave us his son. Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago to bridge the gap between God and man. To communicate his love in, a, in an unmistakable way to mankind. Let me ask you a question. Are you listening? Are you listening? You see, God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us through his spirit. God speaks to us and God spoke to all of mankind when he gave us his son. Uh, uh, and, and God became flesh and dwelt among us. Are we listening? Are you listening? You know, we attend church service and I'm, and, and I'm thrilled that you're here. This is a great Sunday morning crowd. And, and, uh, <clears throat> but understand, you can sit in church service after church service after church service and not listen. You say, oh, preacher, I'm going to read through my Bible this year. That's wonderful. I encourage you to do so. But you know, you can read every word of that book and not listen to what it has to say. You can go through the motions of it. Hey, you can be, you can be a scholar of this book and not listen to what it says. I've told the story here, but it bears repeating and fits the, 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 this point so well. Many years ago, I was knocking on doors in, uh, in West Durham. 
North Carolina, and uh, I had a teenager with me, and uh, the teenager's name was Nick, and we were going down Watts Street in West Durham, and I knocked on the door, <coughs> and uh, gentleman comes to the door, a very distinguished-looking gentleman, and uh, very uh, well-to-do, apparently, a very, really nice house and very expensive car in the driveway, and, and uh, uh, this is a very affluent uh, uh, neighborhood that we were in, and he came to the door, and I said, sir, my name's Kevin Dale, this is Nick, and we're from Fellowship Baptist Church, and we're out knocking on doors, and I got into a uh, conversation with him, and I said, sir, may I ask you a question? And he said, well, certainly, and he had the pipe, and looking down at me over his glasses, and I said, sir, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And he said, son, I'll have you know that I am a professor of divinity at Duke University Divinity School. And I said, sir, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to meet you. I said, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And he said, son, I love it when they call me son. Son, Son, you, did you not hear what I just said? I said, sir, I, I heard what you just said, and, and I'm impressed, and, and, and that's, uh, that's, very, that's very admirable. I'm, I'm glad. I'm sure you, you are very familiar with the Scriptures, he said, probably more than you ever will be. I said, you're probably right, sir. I said, but I'm just here with a very simple message from a book that you're probably very familiar with, and that is, I want you to go to heaven, and more than I want you to go to heaven, God wants you to go to heaven. And uh, he said something that wasn't uh, uh, <clears throat> very uh, uh, kind and said, uh, told us to be on our way. And we did. We left. You know what? I'm not saying that man doesn't know a lot of Scripture intellectually. But he was offended that we would ask about his spiritual condition. Can I tell you something? He wasn't listening. Hey, you can know a lot about the Bible, but do you know the God of the Bible? You can know a lot of facts, and you can know a lot of figures, and you can know a lot of chronology about events, historical events that happened as it relates to that book right there, but there's a message in there that God wants you to know. And hey, the question is this morning, are you listening? Are you listening? If you don't know Jesus Christ, you better listen to the message of the gospel. And if you don't, you do so at the peril of your own eternal uh, damnation, lake of fire. Hey, I'm simply saying if you're a Christian and you're here this morning, don't just go through the motions of coming to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm glad you're here. It's the right place to be. But this little boy was not only in the right place, but he was doing the right thing. He was listening. He was listening. I notice also this. Not only was he in the right place doing the right thing, but this little boy came prepared to stay. <laughs> he came to hear Jesus, and he was prepared to stay as long as he needed to. He brought his lunch. He brought his lunch. So he had every intention of being there for the long haul. You know, there's something I think we can learn from that. In this little boy's sermon, oh, I don't know what he said, but I know how he lived, and he brought his lunch that day, meaning... He planned to stay. God, give us some Christians who just plan to stay. I'm not going to quit. Hey, when things get tough, I'm not going to tuck tail and run. Hey, when, <clears throat> when the storms of life come, oh, I, it doesn't mean I'm not going to shed a tear. It doesn't mean I'm not going to bleed a little bit. It doesn't, matter, I'm not, it doesn't mean I'm not going to get weary, but I refuse to throw in the towel. God, give us some people with the determination that little boy had. He came to stay. He came to stay. 
May I say, the devil is going to present to you this year, 2019, every opportunity for you to bail out on God? Yeah. I promise. The Bible says a just man falleth seven times and rises up again. You see, the success of a just man is not that he doesn't fall. The success of a just man is seen because he continues to get up after he falls. That's a just man. A just man falleth seven times. Now, seven is God's number of completion. It doesn't mean on the eighth time he stays down. That's <laughs> not what he's talking about. No, seven is God's number of completion. It means he just keeps getting back up. He just keeps getting back up. God give us some Christians in 2019 who say, you know, <clears throat> if I fail, I'm going to brush myself off and I'm going to get back up. Hey, if, if, uh, uh, if things don't go my way, I'm going to get back up. If I fall into sin, I'm going to get back up. You, look, it's not, it's not that you never fail. Look, you truly only fail when that becomes the last chapter of your book. When you quit. When you say, I've had enough. Look, if we were to find everybody who's ever been a part, I'm talking about members. I'm not talking about people even now who just have stumbled into the auditorium once in the last 55 years. I'm talking about people, if we could get them all together, who at one time were active members of the Lake Crest Baptist Church, we could not fit them in this room this morning. I'll promise you that. We, we probably couldn't fit them in two or three buildings the same size as this room this morning. You say, preacher, where are they at? Look, it's called the attrition rate in Christianity. Look, people fall by the wayside. People, people get discouraged. People, uh, people uh, uh, they'll point to all kinds of reasons why they quit. Well, you know, so-and-so didn't speak to me. Or I was done wrong by somebody in a church. Or I, this happened to me, or that happened to me, or, or, uh, or, or maybe there's bitterness. And it's, in some cases, it's directed toward God. Look, let me tell you something. This little boy said, hey, I'm coming to stay. I'm coming to stay. And we need Christians this morning who say, I will not quit. I will not throw in the towel. I will not fall by the wayside. I will get back up when I fall. You can't keep a good man down like that. He was in the right place. He was doing the right thing. He came prepared to stay. And then I want you to see this. He gave Jesus what he had. He gave Jesus what he had. He didn't claim to have much, but that didn't matter. He gave Jesus what he had. He allowed the Savior to take what little bit that he possessed, and he said, look, I'm not sure what will come of this, but Jesus took it, and we know what happened. Fifteen to 20,000 people ate, and look, I'm not talking about the kind of meal that you get <clears throat> at some fancy restaurant where they're afraid to give you enough food. You ever been to a place like that? You ever been to a place where they put a plate in front of you and you say, oh, that's real pretty. Hang on, let me get my glasses out so I can see it. I'm talking about, I, I love, this has nothing to do with the message this morning, okay? I love buffets. By the way, that's scriptural. <laughs> Paul said, I buffet my body. <laughs> it's in your Bible. Read it. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's right there. B U and however else you spell it. It's buffet. He said, I buffet my body. I love buffets. And you just keep going back, keep going back. And you know, sometimes you feel like you, you have to get your money's worth. And so you go back even though you, do, you can't go back. You can't even walk back. You just, kind of, you just kind of waddle back over there. That's what he said. I buffet my money. <laughs> oh, you're what? Hey, it's exegeting the scriptures this morning. Let me tell you. But this little man, this little boy, he gave Jesus what he had. He said, look, it's not much. It's five barley loaves and two small fishes. And, uh, and, and even the disciples said, Jesus, what is that among so many? You see all the thousands of people out here, and we got, we got, we got a happy meal? <laughs> we got one little boy's lunch, and we're going to feed thousands of people? He gave what he had. Look, it's not what you have versus what you don't have. Hey, God doesn't need what you don't have, my friend. And God can take the little bit that we have as, as puny as it looks and as insignificant as it looks. And if we give it to God, little is much when God's in it. God's not looking for what you don't have. God's looking for what you have. Here's Moses standing there in the wilderness and uh, he's refusing and he's making all kinds of excuses as to why he can't do what God's asking him to do. And God said to Moses in the middle of his conversation, he said, Moses, what is that in that hand? Moses, what are you holding in your hand? And Moses looked and said, well, it's a, it's a rod. I use it every day. I'm a shepherd. I keep my father-in-law Jethro's uh, sheep. And, and uh, he said, throw it on the ground. And you know the story. He threw it on the ground. It becomes a snake. And God said, Moses, you pick up, the, pick up the snake. And he picked up the snake and it became a rod in his hand again. I believe the overriding lesson in that was for God to show Moses that God did not need what Moses didn't have, but God could use everything that Moses did have when it was placed in God's hands. What we need to do in 2019 is to take what we have and give it to God. Give it to God. You say, preacher, I'm not talented. Let God use your talents. You say, preacher, I'm not, I'm not uh, overwhelmingly intellectual. <clears throat> you let God use your intellect. Preacher, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not especially, I don't have some overwhelming personality. Look, God's not looking for that. It's not by might and it's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. But God's looking for people that he can use. God's looking for availability. God's looking for dependability. God's looking for people who just take what they have and put it in God's hands. And that's what this little boy did. He gave Jesus what he had. He was in the right place. He was doing the right thing. He came prepared to stay. He gave Jesus what he had. And notice the next thing. He didn't ask for any recognition. He didn't ask for any recognition. When the disciples were <clears throat> passing out fish and bread and fish and bread and fish and bread and thousands of people are eating and I'm sure at some point this little boy is thinking, this all came from my lunch? How, how is this possible? Somewhere during the meal, he didn't stand up and say, <clears throat> excuse me, just want everybody to know, this was my lunch. <laughs> the fish that you are eating came from two fish that my daddy caught yesterday. He didn't say, Those, the, all the fine bread that you're eating right now, I'll just have you know, 
My mama made that bread, and she put it in my lunch sack. And I just want you to know, if you enjoy it, you need to give props to my mama. He didn't say that. He wasn't looking for recognition. Someone once said that there's no limit as to what God can do if no one's concerned about who gets the credit. And that's true. That's true. This kid wasn't looking for notoriety. He was satisfied. Don't miss this. He was satisfied simply with serving. That's all. He didn't care if anyone knew his name. In fact, the Bible doesn't give us his name. To this day, we don't know his name. He was okay with that. Why don't we just satisfy ourselves this year with just simply serving the Savior? Serving the Savior. He's what it's all about anyway. Yes, there'll be a judgment seat of Christ, and the Bible says about all of us who are saved that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And yes, there will be rewards given at the judgment seat of Christ. But if you flip over in your Bible and you look at the Revelation, you'll find that the people there at the throne are casting their crowns at the feet of he who sits on the throne. You say, Pastor, what are those crowns? The Bible talks about crowns. It talks about a crown of righteousness. It talks about a crown of life. It talks about a soul winner's crown. It talks about all kinds of, at least four or five different crowns. And we've preached messages on that along those lines. But understand something. At the end of the day, the crowns don't rest on the head of those who are rewarded. The crowns rest at the feet of Jesus. Because the greatest reward, I argue this morning, is to serve Jesus. The greatest reward. This and we're done. This young man, as he finished up this sermon, he got more than he bargained for. <laughs> he got more than he bargained for. You see, 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. 12 baskets. So you, we start with five loaves. Now, now, if you put this into your logical computer, just step back and watch it explode, okay? Because we started with five loaves of bread and two small fishes. Five loaves of bread and two small fishes, okay? Five barley loaves, two fish, all right? You feed thousands of people, and at the end of the day, you got 12 baskets full left over. Somebody please explain that to me. There's no explanation for it. You say, preacher, what happened to all the baskets left over? Now, if it was a Baptist crowd, <laughs> a basket went with brother so-and-so, and a basket went with miss so-and-so, and two or three baskets went over there, and one basket went over there. And Now, this is total speculation on my part, okay? So bear with me. I'm putting a little asterisk by this part of the message. I believe with all my heart, when that old boy went home that afternoon, brother Moore, I don't know how many of those baskets he had, but I guarantee you he had at least one of them. When he showed up in the, in, the, in the kitchen and his mama greeted him there, she said, what's this? What's this? He said, mama, this is that lunch that you sent with me. What? What did I send you? He said, five loaves of bread and two small fishes. Don't you remember? She said, there's a whole lot more than that in just this basket, son. Where'd you get this? Who'd you steal from? <laughs> Typical mother there. Who you steal this from? 
He got more than you bargained for that day. What a return on investment. Though he expected nothing for what he gave, though he expected no accolades, he expected no praise, he expected no notoriety, Jesus gave far more than his expectations. Let me tell you something. When you serve God, what, you, what God gives for you is more than you could ever imagine. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about cheap material blessings. I'm not talking about monetary things, although God takes care of his own in those areas as well. <clears throat> but, but you understand something. If you give Jesus what little bit you have, prepare to be amazed. Prepare to be amazed. I think about Saul of Tarsus. Saul spent all of his adult life up into his mid-30s more than likely maybe even in the 40 to 40 years of age. I'm not sure the Bible doesn't tell specifically. But Saul of Tarsus had spent all of his adult life persecuting Christians. He was on his way to Damascus with letters, indictments, if you will, warrants for the arrest and the imprisonment and probably even the death of many believers. And he's on his way to Damascus and all of a sudden a light shines from heaven and Paul is down on the ground and he's off of his horse. He looks up and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul's awfully hard for you to kick against the pricks. And Saul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I'll promise you, on that day when Saul of Tarsus, whom we know now, uh, whom we know now as the Apostle Paul, he had no idea what God was going to do with him. Not the foggiest idea of what God was going to do with him. But God far exceeded his expectations. You know why? He gave his life to Jesus. He gave, in essence, he did what that little boy did. He just gave what he had. He just gave God what he had. Look, you give God what you have and you watch God make something out of nothing. You say, preacher, you don't understand my past. Give it to God. You can't change it. You cannot change one moment of it. But you can give what you have right now to God what you can do I think about Moses we talked about him in just a few moments ago he gave what he had to God and look what God did with him an 80 year old man was Moses when he stood at that burning bush think about this two thirds of his life was over an 80 year old man and he here he is he is by what a lot of people would determine a failure for the last 40 years he has spent his life on the backside of the desert, taking care of his father-in-law Jethro's sheep and doesn't understand what in the world's going on. And God says, I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go. And he says, well, you know, I don't know, God, you're not getting much. And he argued a little bit, but in the final analysis, he gave it to God. Look what God did with Moses. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Here's a sermon that was preached to us by a little boy, not by what he said, but by what he did. Why don't you give your life to Jesus? Why don't you give your life to God? Why don't you allow God to take the mess? You may look at your life and say, Preacher, it is a mess. Brother Jenkins said it up here the other night. He said, Man, we're all a mess. To some degree, we are. But you know what? God specialized in taking messes and turning them into miracles. That's what he did. Hey, that's what he'll do for you. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Boy, you ought to run to Jesus. You ought to run to him. I didn't say walk. You ought to run to him. Every head bowed.
Every eye is closed. 